Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello, cat lovers, and welcome. It's a melting hot day in South Florida, but you know, I know it's crazy weather all over the place, but enough about that. I have a guest with me today who I guess you could call him the father of TNR. At least that's how I see him. He has done so much work for TNR and he has created a special program for feral and stray cats. Ed, this is not a new gig for this guy. He's been doing it for over 20 years and he's shared everything he's learned to others and he's just done so much and you guys know how I feel about TNR and and rescuing and adopt and not shopping and all that kind of stuff. So hey, without further ado, we're going to take a small break and then we're going to introduce this amazing man. We'll be right back. How many of you have pets? My hand's raised. Now think about how lucky you are to have such a sweet little pet in your life, and that pet is lucky to have you too. But unfortunately, there are countless pets out there that don't have a home to call their own. However, Bob's from Skechers is trying to change that. So we developed Bob's for Dogs and Cats to help pets in need. With every purchase of adorable Bob's footwear or fun, stylish apparel, or even the cutest Bob's pet accessories, Skechers makes a donation to Petco Love to help save shelter pets. And with your help, we've already saved the lives of over 1 million pets and raised over $7 million. So while you're getting style and comfort with features like Skechers' famous memory foam cushioning, you're also helping to save an adorable pet in need and helping another lucky owner be connected with a future best friend and companion because happiness is having a loving pet by your side. Find Bob's at a Skechers store, Skechers.com, select pet co-locations, or wherever stylish footwear is sold. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back, everyone. I want to welcome Brian Cortez. He is the co-founder and national programs director of Neighborhood Cats. It's a leading advocacy group for feral and stray cats. And... Rather than me tell all about you, Brian, why don't you tell us all about you? And I hope that you don't mind that I said the father of all this because, you know, TNR has been really, you know, the buzz thing, real popular the last, say, I don't know, maybe 10 years, 15. You're past that. You've been doing this more than 20 and you've taught others that are now creating, you know, their own fabulous out there in the world. So thank you for all you do. Well, thank you, Michelle, and th- thanks for not calling me the grandfather of TNR. So I didn't even say grandfather; I said father. <laughs> no, that's what I mean. Thank you for that. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, you know, when when I started doing this work in New York City, I'd never even heard of, of TNR Trap Neuter Return, um, and I I had no intention of um, doing you know working with outdoor cats or anything like that. I think I just started the way that a lot of people do with this work, which. I was just going about my business one day and I walked by an empty lot in my neighborhood. I lived on the Upper West Side of Manhattan at that time. And I saw a kitten running in an empty lot. 
And I had some friends in the cat rescue world. I, I was working as an attorney, and occasionally they would ask me to go into a deli and or a bodega and kind of strong arm the owner into handing over some cat that they were abusing. So I knew some people in the cat rescue world, and I figured, all right, this is one kitten. I can hand that off to my friends, right? And then I saw two more running around, and I thought, well, this is going to be a little harder than I thought, but I can still manage this and pass it along, right? And then I saw two more, and I, and I, and I had this sinking feeling that my life was about to change, <laughs> and, it's, and it certainly did. It turned out there were 30 cats living in this courtyard Oh my God. And uh, yeah, and there were no services available. You couldn't even call animal control to come and get them because this was a situation that was multiplied thousands of times throughout New York City. There was no uh, spay neuter, there were no traps, there was nothing. And I hadn't even heard of TNR. Somebody, somebody mentioned the program to me, and I was actually pretty skeptical at first, but I didn't have any alternatives so myself and a couple of neighbors went around and uh, we trapped all the cats we found homes for the kittens and we fixed and returned the adults and took good care of them you know fed them every day a couple times a day and watched over them and it transformed the situation it went from this chaotic out of control lots of people complaining to a very calm managed and a uh, situation where the neighbors were all happy and then the next block over asked us to do the cats in their back alleys. And then the local park asked us to do the cats in the park. And then one thing led to another. And we went from working on the Upper West Side to working throughout Manhattan. Then we did a big project at a jail, uh, Rikers Island, and that got a lot of publicity. And then um, it became kind of nationally known. And we it just has never really stopped growing from those those early days 20 years ago. What a story. It's like baby steps, right? As you were describing, you found two, then you found two more, and then it keeps growing. And people have no idea. I mean, a lot of people do, but a lot of people don't have any idea how fast cats multiply. It's, you know, incredible how quickly they reproduce. Yeah, yeah. Well, a typical story of somebody seeking help is that a couple of cats showed up in their backyard or where they work, and they started to feed them. I think it's a beautiful thing, you know, that people have this natural urge to help and to show compassion. But within a year or two, those two cats turn into 20. And then they start to get, the people start to get panicky and start looking for help. Like, well, what am I going to do? So part of what we try to do is get them to get that panicky feeling when there are two cats <laughs> before before exactly. there are 20 but the situation that um, my very first uh, colony of cats that I worked on, that's how it started. Two cats showed up. This guy who owned a real estate business started feeding them. And then one litter meant uh, now there were eight cats. And then when those kittens grew up, they had litters. And it was only two years before there were 30. I inherited a cat. And unfortunately, Sammy just passed on um, this past December, but she was in the house I bought and not in, but right outside. And we were feeding her, not realizing. And these were these were before my cat of two days. So I had less knowledge. And so we were feeding her and thought, oh, she's getting a little chubby. A couple <laughs> months later, kittens born on my doorstep. And before I could catch her, more kittens born on my doorstep. And then I went with a task in mind, you know, to save Sammy and how to get a cat trapper. 
because I'd never heard of something that you introduced called the drop trap. But before I get to that, I wanted to ask you, you were kind, very kind about, and I was an, I did this, a feeder breeder. And I've heard that term a lot. And it is nice when people are just feeding. And sometimes people are feeding unknowingly that they're contributing to the problem, which I confess, I I did that a little bit. But I did capture the baby daddy, capture raccoon, which I didn't want. (laughs) I captured the baby daddy twice. I had to hire somebody to capture the mama because she was so sleek and so sneaky. But what are your thoughts about people that... I mean, you were really nice about it, but when the, I guess when they keep feeding and feeding and feeding and just don't think, oh, we got to do something because these kittens are going to get, unfortunately, they get destroyed, they get run over, they get Mm. used, all kinds of crazy things. It's important to understand that what can start out as, as a really act of compassion can turn into something, you know, much darker if you don't take the next step which is to get them fixed so that they don't reproduce. And that's exactly what happens. Kitten mortality for litters that are born outdoors is very high. It's estimated to run from 50 to 75% of these guys don't make it past a a few months old. So, and, And then if they do survive, it starts to increase the problems that are associated with with outdoor cats who are unneutered. So they start to, uh, you know, when they mate, they make a lot of noise in the middle of the night. If they're not vaccinated and you're in an area with raccoons, for example, you might be creating um, a transmission route from from wildlife to the people of rabies. You know, if unaltered males are spraying to mark their territory, it's really a very noxious odor. So if you keep increasing the cat population, you're going to keep increasing the problems and the complaints associated with them. And that's going to kind of bring fury down on their heads. So in the end, if you do nothing but feed a population explosion, you're hurting the situation. You're not helping it. And that initial impulse, which was a good one to help, turns into something else. So it's super important if you're feeding I mean, I think it's great to help animals in need. I wouldn't, I don't never discourage somebody from, from feeding, but you got to take that next step. And that's why at Neighborhood Cats, we really focus a lot on education on both the grassroots level, the people who are dealing with the cats on the ground, and also on the kind of program level where you have programs that are dealing with potentially thousands of cats at a time. And on that grassroots level, we offer a monthly online workshop, which goes over the base toast. So you don't have to uh, repeat the experience that you had when you first encountered Sammy. You know, we teach people the basics of trapping, uh, like setting up a feeding pattern and what kind of equipment to get and how to make appointments and how to take care of the cats while they're trapped and things like that. So if people go to our website, we have all the online workshops listed on our homepage and they're only like $10 and it's a couple, two and a half hours. And then you end up with a, a certificate that you've attended. And in some jurisdictions that will get you access to low cost or free services. But basically you walk away, you know, knowing what you need to do to capture the cats and, and do that safely and effectively. Which is a great way to communicate information because you are you have hands-on programs in New York City and Jersey City and the lovely area of Maui, Hawaii. But there's many people in between. 
<laughs> in the yeah. country that need to know this. I mean, there's a lot of knowledge being spread. I found my cat trapper through someone who does a lot of TNR and was a friend of hers and, and perfectly legit. But it's even better if you could do it yourself. You also created a drop trap. I think my notes have it that it's the first mass-produced drop trap and the latest gravity trap. How did you decide to create that? Well, what's unique about Neighborhood Cats and, and why I love it as an organization is we learn from what we do. So we're all trappers. We've all had experience trapping hundreds or even thousands of cats ourselves. So we speak from personal knowledge. And when we see a need, when we're out there in the field and we see something that is lacking, then we go in, we try to fill that gap. And one of the things, you know, that we saw was that that difficulty of catching that last cat, you know, the one who's too wily. And no matter how long you go without feeding them, they just won't go into the trap. So there was a, a person up in uh, Boston who was making these things called drop traps out of wood and uh, fish netting. And they're just basically, you know, the old uh, prop a cardboard box up on a stick and pull a string and it falls down over whoever you're trying to capture. It's the same idea. Cats are wary of going into normal traps, these sort of rectangular shapes with a, only one opening. But a drop trap is like a big square propped up on a stick and they go under it. They don't go into it and they're not afraid of doing that. So it's a great way of playing cat psychology. So we tried these wooden traps and we found they were very effective, but they were also three foot square. And if you didn't have a, you know, a station wagon or an SUV, it was pretty hard to transport them. They were very bulky also because they were made out of wood and netting. They were very difficult to clean. And since we recognized how valuable a tool this was, we approached uh, Tomahawk Trap Company and uh, worked with them to design something that could be mass produced and made out of metal. And it just turned out to be incredibly popular. It's still one of their top selling items. If, if people go to livetrap.com, they can find it there. And now it's become standard equipment. You know, we use them all the time. That's what the cat trapper that I ended up hiring, that's what she used to get Sammy because oh, right. she snuck food out of the regular standard trap. She was a uh -huh. very small. I thought she was a kitten. She was a, always tiny, probably maybe eight pounds. Her offspring is a lot larger, so the baby daddies are probably pretty big, but she was so tiny and just impossible. And so I was at my wit's end, but you know, she knew what she was doing, captured her, we got her fixed, and we learned our lesson in two litters, so not too bad. No, no. I mean, I think that it's really only in, in recent years that there's so much access to instruction and uh, materials for people to learn how, how to do this. But when you first start out and, you know, if, if you're not hooked into that network of knowledge, it's pretty tough to figure it out yourself. So, you know, that's why the education part is so important. Of course. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back to talk to Brian some more about how to be a better cat lover in your neighborhood for all those stray cats. We'll be right back. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. 
With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back, everyone. We're talking to Brian Cortis, the, I want to say the cat daddy, but that word's taken kind of, the father (laughs) of neighborhood cats. And he has done so much for feral and stray cats, whether it's creating teen or equipment. He's established the neighborhood cats in 1999. He's also come out with a lot of handbooks, a lot of how-to you work on many charities. Let's talk about how somebody could get started. So what are the first steps? Because I think a lot of people are intimidated. They'll see different, you know, Instagram videos and things, and it's kind of scary. And and there's traps with covers on them. and, And some of the kittens are in bad shape, and it's intimidating. So how would somebody get started? We require people to actually take our training workshop. And again, that's online. So we have an international audience now. It's um, usually the first Saturday of every month. And that gives you the base of knowledge you need to, first of all, it's a lot less intimidating when you know what the process is. And and we show videos and go through it step by step. So you walk away familiar and knowing what you're going to do. Once you have that knowledge, then you want to find out where are the services available in your area? You know, where can you borrow traps? Where can you uh, get low-cost spay-neuter? Is there a network of people that will help you with doing things like that? So in New York City, after people are what we call certified, they can borrow traps from us at no cost. We will send expert volunteers to assist them with the trapping. If they need a place to hold their cats, we'll help them to find that. So you're going to find organizations around the country with different um, sets of services that you can access. I think the fastest way to find out what's available in your area is call your local shelter and ask them, where's the low-cost spay-neuter clinic and who's doing TNR in this area? And then, of course, you can always go online and Google it. But first thing to do is get your base of knowledge. And then there's just basic steps that you follow that make everything a lot easier. So a lot of people think the first step is to go out and grab a bunch of traps and start getting cats left and right. Actually, the first step is to get them on a feeding schedule so that cats are very habitual creatures. Like if you have cats at home and you're they're used to eating at 7 a.m., they're going to wake you up. You're not going to get out. Of, you're not going to be in bed <laughs> after 7 a.m. <laughs> you know, probably they start around 6.35 just to be sure. How did you know what happens at my house? <laughs> I mean, I'm supposed to be the morning feeder person. And if I lay in bed, my husband says, the cats, first they jump on him, then they meow. Yeah. Then one of them 
Molly sits on the nightstand really close, right, almost to his face and starts meowing. So, yeah, they want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We have a cat who dive bombs. Right on yeah. Keter. <laughs> yeah. He's 12 pounds and he is very athletic and he'll race the length of the apartment and leap onto the bed and wherever he lands, he lands because it's <laughs> quite effective at waking you up and getting you up. And the cats who live outdoors are exactly the same. So if you feed them at 9 a.m. every morning, they're going to start gathering at 8.30 a.m. waiting for you. And that's really helpful when you're trapping because you don't have to go running around trying to find them or guessing when they're going to be there. You know they're going to be there at 9 a.m. So that makes the trapping a lot easier. It also means you can withhold food the day before so that they're good and hungry when you're ready to trap them. So that's a big part of it. And you know, there's getting just setting out the traps properly and using the right equipment and then there's taking care of them. So when we started doing TNR, I think we did what a lot of people did, which is we would catch the cat and then we would transfer them into like a cage or some type of enclosure. And then that meant you had to get them back into the trap to take them to the vet and later on after they recovered to release them and create a lot of opportunities for cats to escape and things like that. So now what we do is we use traps that are big enough to serve as cages. And once the cat is captured, he or she never leaves the trap except for the surgery. And they stay in there the entire time and it makes the process much easier. So it's kind of tricks like that, where if you get some training ahead of time, the whole process is going to be a lot easier. Thanks so much for sharing that. I want to talk about something else. It's a little bit of a maybe 45 degree turn. You've done a lot of talks about the conflict between cats and wildlife. You know, there's a lot of conservationalists that say, you know, well, cats, they're attacking birds and lizards and this and that. What are your thoughts between that, you know, cats and wildlife? You know, mostly it's birds and small mammals. And what are your thoughts on how the conflict can be resolved? I think it's a false conflict. So the first thing I think we have to do is acknowledge certain basic truths, right? Which is cats are, are apex predators. You know, they're evolutionarily, you know, just amazing hunters and they have an instinct for that. So when your cat is chasing balls around you, the house or you're waving a wand in front of them, that's hunting behavior. That's why they enjoy it so much. So they do predate. There's no question about it. Now, if they're predating and you're talking about a endangered species, that is really serious, right? If there's only a 300 of a certain bird left, you, you don't want cats killing them. Right. So that's a different subject, of course. Right, right. But any animal, they have a right to their life too. So I think the thing to realize is that in the end, the wildlife conservationists and people who are responsible cat guardians want the same thing, right? We want fewer cats roaming around and we want wildlife to be protected. And the question becomes, how do we accomplish that? How do we have fewer cats on the landscape? And when you look at TNR on a policy level, that's where it can be very successful. If it's done properly, you can reduce the number of cats in the community. And by doing that, you reduce the amount of predation that's going on. The conflict that comes up with conservationists is they generally as a field don't want to go through a process to get the population down. They want it to happen tomorrow or yesterday even. And that's just not possible you can't just go out there and remove all the free roaming community cats. There's millions of them and there's millions of people who care about them and don't want them killed. So you have to learn a way 
to kind of harness the energy of the people who are caring for the cats and get them on your side. And that's where TNR comes in because people in general don't want more kittens and they want their cats fixed. And population reduction does happen if you do it properly, if you get enough of the cats in an area uh, spayed and neutered. So we worked in a park in Manhattan, Riverside Park. It's about two and a half miles long. When we started, there were 65 to 70 cats living in the park. We fixed every single one of them. And 15 years later, there was one left. Wow. They had just died out naturally through attrition. And we had a network of caretakers who picked up any new cats and they were usually adoptable. So if you do TNR properly, you can eventually make the population go way down or even extinct. And that's what is going to benefit wildlife. But the notion that you can go out there and just round them all up and remove them is a fantasy that was attempted for decades and only resulted in the population explosion that we're dealing with today. It doesn't have to be cats versus wildlife. Right. You know, I like to say it's cats and wildlife. Right. So we can treat them all, you know. Now, when you get into a certain situations like a bird sanctuary for an endangered species, well, you're probably not going to do TNR there, right? You're going you're gonna to relocate those cats. You're going to try to keep that small bit of land cat free if it's feasible. Sometimes it's not. And TNR is the best thing you can do. But, you know, it's a false battle. And I'm always hopeful for the day when more conservationists kind of wake up and realize that we have the same goal and we should be working together, you know, rather than than fighting with each other. Well, I think what you do is amazing. And I think you've done so much for the TNR Society. You've also written a handbook, the Return to Field Handbook, and that's published by the Humane Society. So let us know where people can find out more about the handbook, about where they can find out more about getting their TNR certificate. Overall, you know, more about you, more TNR information. Go to the Neighborhood Cats website. So that's just neighborhoodcats.org. And on the homepage, you'll see uh, down at the bottom a list of upcoming webinars and workshops. Most of them are, are free or very low cost. We also have a page, a resources section that where you can link and download all of the books, the Return to Field Handbook. Um, we've written one about community TNR. We've written one about trapping. So go to neighborhoodcats.org and you'll just find a wealth of resources there if you're interested in TNR. Is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't cover? I would just emphasize, again, we're into both the hands-on trapping side of this, but we're also very involved in the program side. And the thing that I would emphasize to people who are doing this, like you said, is you know move beyond feeding and get the cats fixed, but also realize that you want to get all the cats fixed or as close to all of them as you can. Don't stop at the first two or three, but keep working at it until you've got either all of them or almost all of them fixed. And then you're going to get, you know, the long-term benefits of that are going to be just outstanding for you and for the cats. So well said. Well, Brian, I thank you so much for coming on Catitude and sharing your wealth of knowledge. Thank you so much. And thank you for all you do. And I think Neighborhood Cats has a great deal of information. And even for the cat lovers out there that are like, yeah, I like TNR, but I don't know. And we're not sure take a look. It's neighborhoodcats.org. Right, Brian? Yep. Yep. Neighborhoodcats.org. And, you know, hands-on trapping isn't for everybody, but you can support your local shelter and help them with their spay-neuter fund, or you could um, support 
your local TNR group. There's a, there's a lot of ways to contribute if you don't want to do the hands-on yourself. There's always ways. I mean, there's some people that are just, they have physical limitations and they bring, you know, their gently used towels and whatnot to their local shelters. It all helps. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much for hosting me, Michelle. I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, I thank you so much. And um, I can't wait to hear what your next location is. Are you, are you all, you're all over the U.S., so you're both coasts, which may be Los Angeles? Well, you know, actually, we're working overseas now. Oh, we, well, we, there we, you go. We're overseas. We're supporting programs in Australia and Indonesia. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, yeah, it's very, very exciting because um, Australia, you know, cats have been vilified for decades, and TNR is illegal in a lot of places. So we've been working with a research project to do a pilot a pilot study, and that's been going quite well. And then in Indonesia, they don't have problems uh, with the law. It's just a matter of resources, you know. But a dollar goes an awful long way, and there are some great, great people there who are introducing TNR and just doing some spectacular projects. So that that's really exciting to see too. And maybe we'll all see the day when euthanizing cats is just oh yeah, that's something they used to do. That doesn't even happen anymore. Yeah. And and there are parts of the country where they've had shortages of kittens, you know, so it, it works. It takes time, but, you know, we'll get there. We'll get there. Thanks for all you do. And thank you so much for coming on Catitude. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, Michelle. Well, hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed today's show with Brian Cordes, who is the National Programs Director of Neighborhood Cats, the website, neighborhoodcats.org. He has done so much for the world of TNR. He has a lot of training, tutorials on his site for such a minimal fee where you can be certified in TNR. He um, has the Return to Field Handbook, and that's published by the Humane Society of the U.S. He has products such as the Drop Trap. Please take a look, neighborhoodcats.org. I want to thank my kitties, who are all TNR rescues, and that's Dennis and Jethro, Sammy in Cat Heaven, Molly and Charlotte. So truly think what you can do to make this TNR world better and better even if you just contribute just a little amount and again i want to thank everyone listening to catitude i so appreciate it thank you so much and of course thank you to my most wonderful producer who just had a very lovely birthday weekend and uh, so we wish him all happy birthday it's my first show since his birthday and i would sing but i you don't want to hear me sing so happy birthday mark and um and thank you mark for all you do to make me and my guests sound amazing now remember lose the attitude and have catitude let's talk pets every week on demand only on petliferadio.com <laughs>